This episode contains graphic descriptions of violence and may not be suitable for everyone. Please be advised. April 29, 2011 was a Friday, a warm spring day. Police officer Kelly Wheeler was working the 4 to 12 in the 6th Precinct Detective Squad, also known as the 6th Squad. Around 9 p.m., she was at her desk when the phone rang. It was the patrol supervisor asking her to come right away to Beth Israel Hospital. An elderly man was recently taken in and they believed he might have been a victim of a crime. When she walked into the victim's room, it was hard not to look away. His face was swollen and bruised and bloody and it just, I mean, it was a horrible way to meet somebody and try to compose yourself enough to ask the right questions and hope to get some answers. I'm retired Detective Sergeant Wally Zions, and this is Breaking the Case, a podcast series written and produced by NYPD Studios and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. In this episode, detectives in the Sixth Squad investigate a series of assault and robbery cases with elderly victims. It's a race against the clock to find the suspect before he strikes again. Coming up after the break. Today, Detective Kelly Whaler is retired, but in spring 2011, she was an investigator in training in the Sixth Squad. She was an experienced officer with time on a street narcotics unit. When she got pulled upstairs to the squad room, she felt like she had to prove herself all over again. I came up into a squad that had seasoned people, what I have 10 years on, and everybody else had um, 15 to 25, 30. I was like the baby, but I had really good people to learn from. The 6th Precinct covers Manhattan's historic Greenwich Village, from the High Line to Washington Square Park. According to Whaler, it's one of the best precincts to work in. You know, I always say that about the 6th Precinct, it's like, it's a little of everything. You have a lot of your nonsense, but you have violent crime there too, so you learn to investigate. The elderly man at Beth Israel Hospital was in bad shape. The story was, he was discovered by his home aide when she arrived for her shift. She was the one who called 911. I specifically remember his sister-in-law being there, and she was adamant that he was a victim of a crime. In the hospital room, Detective Whaler and her partner asked the man what happened. The problem was is that he was kind of in and out of consciousness. So he would start speaking a little and then he would just get tired and close his eyes. And also he rambled about a lot of stuff that made no sense. He always remembered that his wallet was taken. You know, sometimes he would say, yeah, I recognize him from the church. And then sometimes he would just give a description, but it was always the same description, that it was a man in a baseball hat. The victim had always insisted that he knew the perp. From the church, he said. There was a church nearby that provided services to the homeless, but that lead did not pan out. The victim also said the guy had been in his house before. Around the neighborhood, the victim had a history of being generous to people who were down on their luck. He was known to invite them in or have them do like little like handiwork here and there. Um, he was just a very trusting person, you know, living in the village for that long. The 83-year-old victim had lived in the apartment on West 12th Street for 50 years. He was a Navy vet, a former pilot, and he also worked as a therapist. His wife had passed away a couple of years before. The next stop was the victim's apartment. He lived in an upscale building in the heart of the village. 
Wella knew that something was not right the second she walked into his bedroom. All of his drawers were dumped out as if somebody had been in his room going through his personal property. His deceased wife, her jewelry boxes were also dumped out. And there was a lot of costume jewelry on the bed. While they were there, Whaler asked Super for a look at the building's video surveillance. There were, you know, hours to go through and the times were off. I just committed to sitting there and, you know, as boring as, as it was watching hours of nothing, it turned out to be very beneficial because we did observe a person of interest on video. This person was exactly as the victim had described him, right down to the baseball cap. You see this person of interest go down the stairs. To the side of the building's main entrance was a staircase leading to the basement door. At first he tried to push the air conditioner in, and then I guess he realized that there was an open door. So what he did was he walked over and he buzzed to see if anybody would respond, and nobody came. So he went back upstairs. Then he put on a pair of work gloves, walked down the stairs, and entered the building. You see him walk through the basement. That leads to a courtyard. The courtyard led to the back door of the victim's apartment. The victim would leave his back door open for his dog, even when he wasn't home. 20 minutes later, the victim returned. Whaler watched that on video too. He comes up the stairs and he takes like a little breather. He sits down on his walker. And then you see him go into his building. Minutes later, the person of interest leaves the same way he came in, through the basement door. And on one of the videos down the street, we actually got him going through a wallet. At the corner of West 12th Street and 6th Avenue, the video died. As the investigation continued, the victim's condition went downhill. A week after the incident, he was still in the hospital. We would go every day to see if he would remember something specific to help us. The only thing that he could say was that it was a guy from the church with a baseball hat. On May 10th, 2011, 11 days after the robbery, the victim passed away from a secondary infection he developed at the hospital. The autopsy took place in August. It became a homicide because obviously without that initial home invasion robbery, he wouldn't have been in the hospital. To Wella, because the victim was over 60 years old, the crime was particularly heinous. There's unfortunately people out there that victimize elderly because they're easy targets. Who knows how much money they got from him. It's like, was it worth it? This poor old guy died, you know? For what? For a couple bucks? There was one suspect. He was connected to some burglaries in other precincts. But he went to prison for one of those crimes before Wheeler could talk to him. We'll be back after the break. Before the break, we learned how, in 2011, White Shield detective Kelly Wheeler caught an elderly robbery case that was upgraded to a homicide. Despite her hard work, the case went unsolved. In 2017, she transferred to the Manhattan South Homicide Squad. Her homicide case went to her colleague, Detective Ryan Glass. A couple of months earlier, he had caught a similar case. So on August 2nd, 2017, at around like 7.30 at night, I was working at the Sixth Precinct Detective Squad. We were driving northbound on Hudson Street towards 14th Street when we heard a uh, job come over the radio for a male robbed. As soon as the call came over the air, Glass and his partner raced to the scene. It was two blocks away on Horatio Street, a quiet tree-lined block in the West Village. The ambulance was already there. We pulled up. There was blood stains all over the front of the uh, steps, and there was an uh, elderly male, 74 years old, in the ambulance. I just opened my door in the usual way, and before I got the inner door open, I could feel somebody attacking me. Some guy came up behind him, 
about 5'10 in his 40s, didn't get a good look at his face, ripped his pants pocket, grabbed his wallet out of there, pushed him, kicked him, shoved him into his vestibule, big swollen lip, big swollen face, bloody. Didn't see who did it, he didn't see where he went, and that was pretty much all we had. The assailant ran off with the victim's credit cards and $400 in cash. One block away, at the corner of Horatio and Greenwich Streets, Glass saw a security camera. I was able to pull video and I got an image of this male on Greenwich Street, like minutes after he said that he got assaulted. And that was the very first image that we had of this guy. He followed the suspect's path to the meatpacking district, where three different subway lines converge. Then he lost him. So then the coming days, we just started pulling video from everywhere we could and just getting better and better, better pictures of this guy. Police have no idea who the man behind this light ball cap could be. Glass created a Crime Stoppers media alert. Detective Ryan Gloss was among the first to arrive. We get a lot of cases. This one hits, hits the court a little bit. I mean, everybody's got a grandfather, grandmother, elderly. With any of these big cases, especially with the elderly, if it's very sensational, we'll put it out to the press and to the media to see if maybe somebody saw it that we didn't get a chance to speak to that night. But in a city of 8 million, where it seems you can't go anywhere without being seen, the perp fell beneath the radar. Through the investigation, we didn't get any hits on the credit cards. You know, this guy didn't maybe knew better, just use the cash. If they were going to get this guy, they needed a break. Summer turned to fall, and the tree-lined streets of the village turned to varying shades of yellow, orange, and red. On a Friday night in late October, there was another elderly assault in the 6th Precinct. An elderly woman robbed in her own apartment building. Police are searching for the man they say targeted the woman and punched her repeatedly. I just had a gut feeling. I'm like, this is that guy from a month or so ago. This time, the victim was an 81-year-old woman. She had been walking into her apartment on West 13th Street when she was attacked from behind. It was within the same corridor that I had gotten video on a month or so before. When they got to the scene, Detective Calisuano went upstairs to see the victim. Patrol was already there, and they were using an app to track the victim's stolen cell phone. Detective Glass was downstairs looking at the building's security video. And he goes, you're never gonna believe it, it's him. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, he goes, the exact same description and everything. He goes, we got really good video of it. We got the, the image of the female victim actually getting assaulted and punched in the face and knocked to the ground and her red purse being taken. To say the attacker threw some punches is an understatement. They were full on haymakers. Considering the blows, the victim was doing well. She was in pain, had some bruises, but she said she was okay. The investigation was moving fast. Last they heard from patrol, the victim's cell phone was making its way towards Brooklyn. They said they actually got a last hit of the phone pinging at the Trimmerhorn train station in Brooklyn. Detective Glass then called the team that handles transit video. They immediately sent over footage from the subway station. Detective Glass was looking at the video and he was able to locate the guy going out of the train out somewhere in Brooklyn. By this time, it was pretty late. They decided to pick up the next day in Brooklyn near the Hoyt Skimmerhorn stop. We wind up being able to find the camera from the train station and we actually see our perpetrator coming and walking and all of a sudden you see him slamming something on the ground. What was that all about? They could only guess. When the guy left the subway and the stolen phone reconnected to service, it started to make a loud pinging sound that phones make when a Find My Phone app is in lost mode. He picks it up whatever's left of it, and puts it back in his pocket and continues walking. We follow him for about another block, block and a half over here in Brooklyn, and we lose him on a corner. 
New information on an elderly woman attacked. Police are searching for the robber who punched her repeatedly inside her apartment building lobby. This morning, that woman is recounting the terrifying experience. I was just about ready to put the key in the door when I felt, you know, felt the really big blow on my head. She was, you know, a former Broadway actress, film actress, so she had no problem speaking to anybody about it. They did everything they could to get the word out. We had the photos out there, media requests on them, Crime Stoppers reward done on them, Crime Stoppers went out there, and we just had nothing. No one noticed it, no one noticed him. We had the video, we had his direction of flight, we had the whole thing on camera. We were just stuck again, in all honesty. They were waiting for lab results on one thing. It was now looking like their last hope. During the attack, it was clear as day on the video the perp put his hand on the vestibule door to hold it open while he punched the victim. He left the smudge. The touch DNA is very tough, you know, because you're dealing with a public door. Even the evidence collection says, you know, we'll swab, but it could be multiple people. We don't know how dirty of a smudge print was it. This here is new video that we just received. It shows the suspect inside a subway station. Police believe that he is behind at least two robberies in lower Manhattan, less than half a mile apart. On December 10th, the DNA results came back from the lab. I remember being home in my house and Lenny calling me on my phone. He's like, turn on your job phone. Like, this is, you know, this is this guy. And sure enough, I ran the name in the job phone. I popped up his picture. You know, I said, <laughs> this is our guy. The touch DNA from the vestibule on West 13th Street matched the DNA on a glove that was left at the scene of a burglary on the Upper West Side in 2010. The perpetrator was arrested for that crime in 2011 and was sentenced to five years in prison. He was released on parole in 2015. He had also been a suspect in Detective Whaler's case, the elderly homicide in 2011. When the DNA identification was made, the detectives learned that the man's address was a homeless shelter in Brooklyn. Bedford's men's shelter is not very far from where we lost him on video. So it was determined, okay, we know who this guy is. We know he stays at Bedford's men's shelter. Shot in the dark. Let's go see if this guy comes back that night in those clothes to the Bedford's men's shelter. People are creatures of habit, criminal or not, everyone does the same thing, they take the same train of work, they enter through the same entrances. To their surprise, the shelter still had the video. This blew our minds. Like, they had enough video to go back on to find a defendant coming in wearing the same exact shirt, carrying the newspaper, the water bottle, everything, three months later. There's no doubt in our minds that we have the right guy. After a judge issued an arrest warrant, the NYPD warrants team located the man in New Jersey and brought him to the sixth squad. In the squad room, the detectives are ready to meet the perp face to face. They started the video recorder in the interrogation room and brought him in. He didn't want to speak with us. He requested a lawyer. He wanted nothing to do with it. But we, we at that time decided, I mean, collectively between us and other detectives that were there, we didn't shut off the video. While the suspect waited for his lawyer, the camera kept rolling. Even though we weren't allowed to talk to him, just interactions with us going in the room with him in regards to you want to smoke, do you want to, you know, something to eat, do you have to use the bathroom, just by his reactions and any statements that he would make to us, it's still useful in a case. If anything happened, they would have it all on tape. At one point, Calisuano went to see if the guy needed anything. And he starts arguing with me. 
And I keep trying to tell him, I'm like, listen, you have a lawyer. I cannot speak to you about anything. And he's like, but I didn't do this. And he's like ranting and raving about, I don't know why I'm here. And this, we didn't get a reaction out of him before. And I said, listen, man, you requested a lawyer. There's nothing I could do here. I'll see what I could do. Maybe we'll get this done quicker. You know, I never asked him any questions. I never baited him into anything. Later, they showed the video to the district attorney. When the DA saw that, she was like, that was awesome because you actually got to see that he actually does get angry. And actually, he knew why he was there because he was like, I, I, I never did this and like making vague statements. And he, she goes, you guys never even said anything to him. So why would he make these statements? So that actually worked out, you know, really well in our favor. It should be noted, the suspect was also summoned to be questioned by Detective Whaler in connection with her homicide in 2011. A wanted card was issued back in 2011 and it was still active. Unfortunately for us, he requested an attorney, so we weren't able to um, speak with him. To this day, he remains a suspect for that case. The charges against the defendant were linked to Glass and Calasuano's cases. The assault and robbery of the 74-year-old man in August 2017, and a few months later, the October assault and robbery of the 81-year-old actress. He was charged with robbery in the second degree for causing physical injury and assault in the second degree for injuring a victim 65 years or older. At the arraignment, the judge refused bail for the defendant. His crimes were too violent to let him out on his own recognizance. From 2017 to 2019, the case lingered. The defense had argued that the defendant was unfit for trial. In the interim, the defendant went through a psychological evaluation. And it was determined that he does not have any psychological issues that would deem him not being able to be on trial for these cases. The trial was scheduled for January 2020. That was right before the world was turned upside down by COVID-19. But there was a problem. Glass learned that the 74-year-old male victim had passed away. So we had to relay that information to the district attorney. And she just believed that with one victim not being able to testify and with our other victim with her age and putting her through, I guess, a trial, I think they may have just decided that to knock down the plea for him and they knew he was never going to get out. They came to a compromise and it was just like with the higher ups in the DA's office, just like, let's just knock it down, let him plea it, and then we'll, we'll see what happens from there. The perpetrator pleaded to second degree burglary and is currently serving 12 years to life. He's serving at least that amount of time because his past history is just too many violent instances to let him out again. So that was it, two cases closed, and the man who had viciously attacked two seniors was off the streets. One of my most rewarding cases, definitely, because I put a lot of work into it. You know, Detective Coloswano's case, too. We did a lot of work in these cases, and I'm just glad that the final outcome came to this guy, you know, doing practically life, is going to be doing life. Glass and Caliswano might say they got lucky with DNA, but in the end, solving the case was a collective effort. From the work that was done on the burglary cases in 2010 to the smudged DNA collected by the crime scene unit in 2017. And let's not forget the quick-thinking patrol officer who traced the pings of the stolen cell phone. Everyone played a part in the detective's success. In 2020, Detective Whaler retired from the NYPD. She still thinks about her first homicide case. You know, I've been in touch with his uh, sister-in-law throughout the years, and I always wanted to, like, let the family know that he's not forgotten. It's one of those things for me 
you know, retiring without having this case closed, it, it's, it was hard for me. The, the case will never be dead. It will always be investigated. I have confidence that the people that are picking it up when I left will do their due diligence and, you know, hopefully find something that helps crack the case. Breaking the Case is written and produced by NYPD Studios and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. Thanks to PIX11, CBS2 New York, and ABC7 New York. Subscribe to Breaking the Case for a new episode every other Thursday in Season 2. If you like our show, please consider giving it five stars and recommending it to your friends. And follow the NYPD on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm retired Detective Sergeant Wally Zions. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be safe.